I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkinSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. Sorry for missing last week's Monday episode. iHire, this amazing new company that Work in Sports has merged with, has this really great policy. It's crazy. Listen to this. Fourth of July hit on a Sunday. And rather than debating, should we give staff Friday off, or should we give Monday off, or should we make them use a floating holiday, they said... Well, let's give them both. So I had Monday off and Friday off. And I'm one of those types that usually doesn't take time off unless you tell me to. So this was really great. I enjoyed it big time and I don't feel bad about it at all. I feel bad that I didn't make the content, you know, and that's always, you know, I don't want to let you guys down. But at the same time, you know, time off, kind of like it down with that, which all got me to thinking about that big word we throw around a lot in the business world, culture. I've been reading a lot about culture, a lot of different perspectives on it, because as a manager of people, it is really important for me to bear the burden of creating a great culture as best I can. And it's not a singular thing. I'm not the only person that I hire and work in sports that creates culture. We all do. All those people that are in, well, all of us across the board, Um, the senior leadership team, especially that they bear a lot of the burden of that. But each one of us that manages people or each one of us that are just individual performers, like you are all influencing the culture. So it's been important to me to, I don't know, try to learn a little bit more and read a little bit more of the research on, on culture development. Um, what's clear is that the idea of putting a ping pong table in the office or having a company offsite automatically creating a great culture is outdated. I mean, that was definitely the vibe in the early 2000s that, you know, pool table, foosball table, ping pong table, maybe put a slide from the second floor to the first floor and boom, we've got a great culture. It's really not the way things work in reality. Um, I'm stealing this from Harvard Business Review, which is awesome. Uh, they have a lot of great articles in there and they're not as hard to understand as you may think they would be. I think there was definitely some intimidation at some point on my part, but really there's no reason to be. Um, I'll link to the article if you want to read more. But the idea of a positive culture that makes people want to work and stay with your team comes from three premises. Premises. Premises? Three premises. (sighs) Behaviors, systems, and practices. Behaviors are a big part of A big part of behaviors is how leaders behave, how they enact the organization's values or don't. You know, staffers watch everything that leaders do. If the leaders are not exhibiting the behaviors that reflect the values, then the values become meaningless. They're just words on a piece of paper. So if you establish some great mission statement for your organization, you say what you stand for, you say what you believe, but then the people behind them, the leadership team, their behavior doesn't align with it then that doesn't really, that makes a confusing culture. Now, employees, as far as behaviors go, employees also need clarity. They need clear expectations. So given these organizational values, well, which behaviors consistently get rewarded? Which behaviors lead to promotion? These have to be transparent and consistent for a culture to have meaning, right? You don't want it to be just words on a blackboard somewhere or on a sign as you walked into your office. When I worked at Fox Sports Northwest, we had this huge mission statement that we worked on and crafted and we put in our conference room, which was one of the first things you saw as you entered the office. But I'll be the first to say the senior leadership didn't really embody them. They were words. They weren't part of the behavior. That's how culture starts. Next is systems. 
every process that is created, every system installed, every technology that is used, every structure that is designed, every job title that is given will reinforce or dilute the culture. Hiring, strategy and goal setting, assessing, developing, rewarding, they're all systems that must be structured and in place for employees to know and thrive within. Transparent plans, how we handle hiring, what our strategy and goal setting, how we assess our people, how we develop our people, how we reward our people. Those are all part of the culture too, the systems in place to make it all work. And then practices. You know, practices include everything from company events, running meetings, feedback processes, to how decisions are made. When all that stuff is transparent and out there, and again, we're not talking about, hey, we threw a picnic last year and we did this great offsite at Top Golf. Like how you run day-to-day meetings, how you give feedback, the culture and the environment within the business structure, not just on special events, is really important. Do you have repeatable decision-making processes in place? Are meeting participants expected to be collaborative and consensus-driven, or is, it, is some conflict okay? What should managers talk about in performance reviews? Do you do one-on-one meetings? What are the, what are the tone of those? You know, culture isn't just a fun event here and there. It's an entire process and organizational value system. Sometimes when I hear like my friend John Ferguson, who's the VP of People and Culture at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, an all-star on this podcast, um, you know, I hear that culture part of his job and I'm like, well, how do you actually, like, what does that mean as a job, like to establish culture? It's like, are you the one setting up events? And when, it, when I go through some of this research and these articles and these thought exercises, like, no, culture really is a full-time thing that needs to be worked on. And it's not just event-based. It's really a big part of how a system operates. And being, you know, setting up these behavior systems and practices that are cohesive and consistent, more than just being fun and hip, is how you really build a culture. And it's worth it. I feel pretty lucky right now because of the iHire team nails it. I could go chapter and verse about how these premises are, are handled, but to suffice it to say that they are, and it does make for an amazing culture with low staff turnover and high productivity. Like, you like showing up to work. And that's a long way of me saying, I really enjoyed my off day. <laughs> so sorry I didn't do a podcast on Monday, but I, you know, I was enjoying it. I was leaning into the culture. Okay, let's get to the real subject for today. Interviewing skills we don't discuss enough. I like this topic. We've talked about research and preparation a lot. We've talked about first impressions, video technology, phone interviews, panel interviews, and more and more and more and more. Interviews are where the rubber meets the road. It's like I tell people all the time. We can talk about experience. We can talk about networking. We can talk about resumes and cover letters. But unless you, all those things help you get noticed. They're like brand awareness. They let make people know that you're out there and that you're a match for their role. But unless you nail the interview process, you're not going to get the job. So to me, it's the most important part. It's not the only part. You have, obviously have to build your brand and your awareness and do all those other components, but you really got to nail the interview. So I like that we're talking about other skills and traits that are important. So let's dig into that. I have five that I'd like to share today and implant in your memory banks as you get ready for your next big interview, because it's going to happen, right? We're all going to go through a lot of interviews in our career. Okay. Number one, small talk. Look, I hate small talk. I want to jump to comfort as fast as I can. And small talk seems vapid and ridiculous to me. I am no fun at parties. (laughs) But there is a weird emotional barrier between you and your interviewer when you first get started. You show up at the office or you show up on Zoom and it's just boom, you and them. They're thinking to themselves, okay, so put yourself in the shoes of the interviewer. They're thinking to themselves, I have to be in charge and professional, buttoned up and to the point. I need to be in control, blah, 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 right? 
You are feeling nervous and overwhelmed, fearful and anxious. A little early small talk can go a long way. It serves a purpose and lessens the heat in the room. The goal of small talk is to get you to comfortable as quickly as possible. Like comfortable is a a state and you want to get there because you're uncomfortable when you first start. Now, I try to think about this because I don't really like small talk, but I thought about it in, in terms of my own world and like meeting with guests that I don't necessarily know for the podcast, right? You have Lee Steinberg on the show. You have Joan Lynch on the show. You have Callie Franklin on the show. You have all these amazing people on the show. I don't know them when we first get started, but I want to get to the best of their com- personality. I want them to be as comfortable as possible. So I always take four to five minutes chatting with the guests before I hit record. And I always tell them, first of all, I haven't hit record yet. We're just, just wanted to talk to you for a second. I give them a little bit of a rundown of what's going to happen, uh, how it's all going to get structured. I talk to them about, you know, a couple little data points here and there. We just chat. And then I start to ask questions about them, you know, ask them like how long they've been in the area or like, like what are they like, you know, whatever, whatever comes to mind. It loosens us both up a little bit and makes the resulting conversation stronger. The same premise can be applied to your interview process. Have a couple open-ended questions in mind. Like, and this can tie into the research you may have done. Maybe they won a recent award. Hey, I saw iHire was named to Inc. 5000's list of the fastest growing private companies in America. That's amazing. Is everyone pretty proud? Okay, it's a good conversation starter. Or it can be less specific. It doesn't have to be tied into research. So how long have you been with the company? Have you always lived in the area? Anything to get into a normal conversation like regular humans have and lessen that stress of you play this role, I play that role, and there's a little bit of friction there. The faster you can get to a point where you feel like two humans talking, the better off you will be. Number two, empathy. One of the best books I have ever read, and I don't really like nonfiction, is Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a great read and changed the way I approach many situations. One thing to remember is to always put yourself in other people's shoes when you're going through the preparation phase. In an interview, that can take the form of knowing what they need, not just what you want. So, in an interview, you can often be focused on what you'd like to have, right? I'd like to have these things in my role. I'd like to have these things for my pay. I'd like to be able to get these things and grow this way. And here's where I see myself in five years. And here's what I want. And here's my, here, here, me, 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 me. Shift this a little. And think about what their problems are and how you can help solve them. They're hiring this role because they have a problem that needs solving. Put yourself in their shoes. It requires empathy to see beyond yourself and your needs and see how you can help them. This minor shift in approach will change the way your interviewers see you. And it's in a good way. Okay? Number three, active listening. I learned about active listening in some parenting classes I had early on as my kids went to a co-op preschool. Co-op model is pretty cool. You pay less for childcare or preschool because you contribute in the classroom. You might show up two times a month or something like that, and you take some courses on certain nights to become a better parent. Shout out to the Eastgate Co-op in Bellevue, Washington. Awesome experience. All three of my kids went there. Active listening and remember, that word active in, is in there and it's important. We're not just talking about listening. Active listening isn't just hearing the words someone is saying. It means you are picking up on their other cues as well, like intent and feeling. Super important with kids. Also important in the job interview process. If you pay attention to not just the words, but the emotions behind the delivery and the body language cues that they are giving out, you can really learn what is most important to the interviewee. 
What is the most important thing that they're talking about? And you can feel how the conversation is going, which leads us to the fourth one, body language. Interviewing is an active sport, is the way I like to think about it. You may go in with a certain game plan and have to adjust as the conditions on the ground change. I've been in situations where I try to be playful, and you can tell by the other person's reaction they aren't that person. You have to read that and adjust. If I'm talking uh, on an answer, like if I'm answering something and I'm, I'm being interviewed and I am answering something and I seem to be losing their attention, pay attention to that. Know that. Wrap it up. You must constantly be aware of the subtle nonverbal cues being thrown at you during this process. Are they smiling, nodding, stone-faced, uncomfortable, looking around, distracted? Bring in these data points and use them to adjust your approach in the process. You may have to change personalities in an interview. I have done that before. I have started out thinking I was going to be one person. I was going to be energetic. I was going to be uh, vivacious and bold and kind of, you know, create, showing my creative side. And the other person was not jiving. I had to shift. I slowed down my talk. I paced myself a little bit differently. I took, I used more business terms. I adjusted. You have to see the body language, understand that, and adjust. It's okay. Also remember your body language. I like to call it staying in the pocket. So what I mean by that is when I'm hosting a session or moderating a panel or doing an interview, I am in the pocket of that moment. I am present. My feet are right there, nowhere else. My phone doesn't matter. My next meeting doesn't matter. The project tomorrow doesn't matter. This matters. Stay in this moment. Give off positive, focused body language and stay there. No drifting. It is so easy when you're in an interview, when you're interviewing somebody or when you're being interviewed to drift a little bit. You got to stay in the pocket. Okay, final one, storytelling. The absolute best job interviews come when a candidate is able to relate their experience in story form. Think about this for a second. If you listen to a speech on YouTube, let's say a TEDx kind of speech, for example, And one person just speaks in platitudes and cliches and buzzwords, routine answers and pre-programmed responses. It means nothing. It just gets kind of like word, word, word salad after a while. But if another person engages in stories, weaving their experiences and, and getting excited as they recall them, it's way more engaging. Work on your stories that relate you to this position. Literally go through and think, okay, if someone asked me about how I handle pressure what story could I tell? If someone asked me about my work ethic, what story could I tell to bring this to life? If somebody asked me about how, said something about how passion was really exciting, important to them, how can I demonstrate that in this story of something that I've done or accomplished? This is how you stand out. Master these subtle skills in addition to the research and preparation we've given you before, and you'll be in a really good position to succeed. I hope this helps you all. All right. Tune in on Wednesday. I just finished up an interview with Ben Baskin, who is the host of the Lost in Sports podcast, which is my new favorite podcast. It is amazing. He's also a senior writer at Religion of Sports, spent five years at Sports Illustrated as a writer. He's written seven cover stories for Sports Illustrated. The dude is extremely accomplished. Really, really great interview. Fun conversation. Uh, He shares an amazing story about a, a handshake 
that he got one time interviewing somebody with the NFL and he was warned beforehand by multiple people to watch out for the handshake. And he said the guy crushed him. So you gotta, you gotta listen to that. It was really, uh, it was really very funny, but there's a lot of other great, meaningful content in there too. So tune in for that on Wednesday. A lot of great stuff on the horizon for our content. Thank you for being a part of this show and for listening. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. We love having you a part of our audience, and I will continue to deliver more great content for all of you. Thanks, everybody. Let's get back to work. 